Turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 8. Beginning to read then uh, with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God and Lord of our uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. May the Lord bless this reading from his holy word. I've turned to a study in Colossians because, well, in the, the past couple years, we've been through uh, the Samuels and um, studying the life of King David and uh, all that was involved with that. And more recently, we've studied the Gospel of Mark. And I just thought we haven't done any of the Pauline epistles in a long time. And uh, I've never done Colossians, so I was looking to, to, to do two things at once, um, do a book that I have never done, and also to, uh, to dabble, if we can say it that way, with the Apostle Paul. Um, the, there's, a, there's a connection between the Gospel of Mark and the study of Jesus, which we just did, and studying via the lens of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Jesus was magnificent uh, in, in superlative ways, but Paul is magnificent and uh, nonetheless human, human uh, without being God too, as Jesus was, but uh, Paul is quite superlative too. And, um, and uh, we, it really does us good to, to study the things of Christ through his eyes because he has a very unique way of looking at things, and he was definitely the, the greatest of the apostles in terms of understanding biblical theology, and then giving voice to that and articulating that and emphasizing certain things here and there in his letters that are most full indeed. And so, um, uh, now, uh, Colossae was a... a uh, a city that in which would be in modern Turkey today, in sort of south central modern Turkey, and it was just one of those cities. It was on an east-west trade route, but it wasn't as magnificent as Ephesus, which was about 90, 80, 90 miles to its west, right on the sea coast. Colossae was one of these interior cities, and it got after a while it got a little bypassed in terms of the. The uh, glory of the city, some other cities nearby it, became uh, more glorious, more powerful. But 
uh, it was included in the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey, and a church began there. And and so it's very it's, it's very typical of a kind of a place like kind of like where where we are in Southwest Ohio. Southwest Ohio, it's near a city of uh, Cincinnati, but Cincinnati is no Chicago or New York or Los Angeles. And in many ways, we can say we thank God <laughs> it's got. It's got it's got some typical problems of the modern uh, liberal city, but in, in many ways it's not quite as bad as some of these other places. It tends to almost uh, out of uh, out of, uh, of covetousness, it, it seems to be able to pull off a, a riot or some looting, something like that. When when some of these other bigger cities do it, it seems like there are we have our local representatives of radicalism that will will try to do something or other and uh, it makes the newspapers. But it's usually not as destructive or not as bad as some of these bigger cities. Well, Colossae was kind of like that. Uh, and um, we can ask, well, why did, why did the Apostle Paul stop there? Well, the, the larger picture on Paul's mind is that the gospel is meant for the whole world. And we see some references to that in our text this morning that I'll bring out. Uh, but uh, and in, this, in this portion that we're doing today, it... These are the, the greetings. These are the sort of the ways that Paul began the letter. But what, what's important to see is that in these greetings are embedded the real basic fundamentals, the rudimentary principles. Uh, I, I call them here for the sermon title, the Pauline basics. And we're going to see some of those here so that we see that even as Paul begins his letter, he's uh, ringing little bells here and there that will then he'll develop later in his letter, as he did with the church at Ephesus and the church at Rome. And there are many similarities between the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, because they were they were neighboring cities, you know, like I said, 80, 90 miles from each other in south-central Turkey. Uh, another thing to notice here is that as you read this letter and you think about it, you think about what Paul is imploring the people to do, you need to realize that, that this is the part of the world that within 500 years began to be assaulted by Islam and ultimately was overrun by Islam. So the, 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 the duration of this church in terms of its heyday or in terms of the Christianity of that day lasted for you know four or 500 years after it was planted. And which is roughly the, the, the history, the time length of the history of America. America was founded in the 1600s, the early 1600s. Here we are, uh, you know, a third of the way or a fifth of the way through the 21st century. So we're into our, we're, uh, we're 400 years plus going here in America. And so it's, it's interesting to realize as we read these biblical letters that, that these people, this is not just church doctrine. Uh, as, as wonderful as that is. But these are real living people. They had real living families. And these families were going to be blessed or cursed based upon the, the affluence of Christianity. And Christianity was very rich for about 400 years, four or 500 years in this area. Uh, but then the, the people stopped pressing against the gods. Uh, they they were less warlike in terms of their own sanctification. And ultimately, uh, they became lukewarm and God spewed them out of their mouth. 
you can go today in modern Turkey in these in these areas. You can visit some of these old churches. Many of them have been transformed into Islamic temples, and they've built minarets next to them or by them, where they can uh, call out the times of prayer for the Islamic society of Turkey. And uh, and uh, Turkey is a nation. It's a, it's a significant nation in our world today, but it's not uh, not a very free nation. Uh, it's not a very productive nation, and the, the the wealth of the people is is very contained, very measured compared to a place like America. What we need to realize here is that uh, places like we live, places like we're serving, that this this area in which our church dwells, it's not it's not something that we can just take for granted. Or we can turn out to be like this part of the world. So the Apostle Paul, he covers basics in this letter that are very, very important. We'll cover them. We'll try to apply them to ourselves. And then we'll see what advantage we can make of them as we as we think about them for our own families. Um, <clears throat> um, as we begin uh, to look at these basics, we see verse 1. And we've got an outline, you've got an outline of this on, in your bulletin here. And I, I decided to, to link the outline to the verses rather than some memnonic device, just because I want you to see the significance of this. Now, in the very first line, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, um, uh, we need to remember here that, um, that Paul is bringing this letter, and indeed the whole enterprise of Christianity, he's bringing this letter to a pagan world. If we think that southwest Ohio is pagan, uh, it's no more pagan than this world in which Paul was operating. Probably less so. I mean, probably more so. We're probably in a better position than Paul was in this day. He was going into a place that had never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you think it's easy to talk to your neighbors, to talk to people in business, talk to other people in our day, people who do not believe, people who are, are their concepts of Christ are foreign to them? Do you think that that's difficult? Well, however difficult it is for us, it was twice that difficult for the Apostle Paul. But what we see is that Paul carries on in a way that many of us shrink back from. We say, well, I can't speak this way to my neighbors because they won't understand. <laughs> Here you've got a letter where Paul is talking to his pagan neighbor. He's talking to the church, but he's talking to the church. Many, all of whom were uh, pagans or converted Jews. Uh, and uh, so this is definitely a world which is not was not conducive or friendly to the gospel. We sometimes think, oh Lord, I'll witness. I'll talk to people when, it, when, it, when I think that somebody's ready for it. When I can see that they are primed for the gospel. No, that's the wrong way to think. We speak to people before they're primed for the gospel. We are part of the priming process. When we say things and people hear them and they think they're foolishness. They have no, they have no way of, of understanding what we're talking about. I mean, in order to understand what we're talking about, you've got you've to have a proper view of God. You've got to have a proper view of truth. 
two concepts that are almost totally ev ev eviscerated today in our society. Those things are necessary in order to truly understand the Christian gospel. But what does Paul say? Paul says, proclaim these things anyway. He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. We might say, well, Paul, if you're going to talk to people, don't talk, don't begin right away by talking about the will of God. It gets you the ideas of sovereignty and the omnipotent power of God, the things that are the hardest for people to understand. But no, this is the, the way we preach is to, is to preach headlong into the, into the wind and into the darkness. And, and that's what we see here with Paul. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the pagan city of Colossae. And it's exciting. Because as we speak our foolishness to people, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit is there. And the Holy Spirit does things that are uh, way out of proportion to what we might expect. According to our expectations, we would have, we would have no hope. But according to the Spirit, there's life and all things are possible. And so that's why Paul was an apostle. Paul, apostle means a sent one. He was sent by God. And he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and established disciples and apostles, and he sent them out. We can see that at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And this was by the will of God, as expressed throughout the whole of the Scriptures. The will of God is that the world might be recreated in Christ, that the world might be refurbished in the Spirit. That those lands and peoples seduced by Satan might be reawoken in the power of God. And so he writes the letter in that respect. And that's one of the basic things, uh, one of the basic, one of the Pauline basics. Every, every time Paul wrote, every letter he wrote, he wrote, in some ways it was analogous to this to these cities that had, had churches planted in them where people who should not have believed came to believe and where they began to be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. He writes then, verse 2, <clears throat> um, to a Christian sainthood. He writes to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Now we're not going to belabor this. But it's an amazing thing that these people who are in transition from, from paganism to Christianity, it's amazing thing that it's amazing that they should be called saints. There's a lot of talk about saints in this world. It's usually in a kind of a semi-pagan way. Paul addresses everyone in the church as a saint. Take your name. Whatever it is, I'll pick on Scott because he, his name begins with an S. Saint Scott, you know. Pick your name and put the word, put the um, qualifier for a saint in front of it. Saint Richard. I know that's really hard to believe, but uh, uh, but use that. The Holy Spirit will use that to draw you more and more out into who He wants you to be. As soon as we believe in Christ, we get the right to be called a saint. We're not saints in of ourselves. We're not saints in our flesh, but we are saints in Christ. And so that's another really basic 
idea that, that comes from the doctrine of justification. That if we're in Christ, then we have his righteousness. And if we have his righteousness, we can be called saints. So Paul, Paul speaks to people as he wants them to be, as he wants them to see themselves. We so often ruminate in our, our private lives about our issues, our problems, our sins, our besetting sins, our weaknesses, our frailties. We bewail them as we pray to God. But at the same time that we do that, God wants us to remember that we are saints in Christ and that he's calling us out of what we were before into what we are now in Christ. We're multidimensional people. We have one dimension hid with Christ above in the heavens. And then we have another dimension here in the flesh. And we are transitioning, all of us. And that's a basic principle that Paul is addressing to these people. And with so many of his letters, he begins by addressing the saints here and the saints there. Uh, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Again, faithful brethren. Were they completely faithful? Were they, were they completely sanctified? No. But Paul sees them as being work projects by the, of the Holy Spirit. And so he greets them in that way. When we talk to each other, parents, when you talk to your children, uh, husbands and wives, when we talk to each other, we need to have this perspective in our minds. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we no longer consider each other as we are in the flesh. So often when we talk to each other, parents to children, children to parents, spouses to each other, so often we speak to each other as we are in the flesh. We just refuse to break out. We refuse to be as optimistic about ourselves as the Lord is here in this letter. And this is a, a tremendous message, psychological message to us, to lift each other up by our gospel insight into each other, and by the outlook that we ought to have in, the, in, in Christ. So verse 2 teaches us about uh, sainthood. And I could put the A and B together here, 2 and 3, points 2 and 3, but um, because they are both really related. But from this position, you see, of sainthood and, and um, our brotherly relationship in Christ, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So based upon our position in Christ, we have this standing. That's the third foundation. We have this standing. Uh, uh, and, we, and God can speak to us in this wonderfully optimistic way. Grace to you and peace from God. God, God, almighty God, who is all totally perfect in himself, has no shadow, no shadows of want or need, speaks to people who have fallen into sin and have been rebellious against him. But he, does, he speaks to us from this position of confidence. Grace to you and peace. Do we have full grace? Do we have full peace? No, but he, God speaks to us that way anyway. And he speaks to us uh, as our Father and that of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that third, that third basic tra transitions right into Trinitarianism in verse 3. We give thanks to God. Well, we, he says, he mentions the, the, God the Father in verse, at the end of verse 2, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he repeats that in verse 3. Uh, in terms of the Father and the Son, we give thanks to, God, to the God, 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, you since we heard of your faith in Christ. Um, he, he's not going to develop the doctrine of the Trinity right away, but again, here is a, a very complex concept that you'd think he'd leave off if he's, if he's talking to a young church. You'd think he'd leave off and he just wouldn't mention this, but uh, in Christianity, we throw some of the big concepts, we throw some of the, the big ideas out right away. And then we try to encourage people to learn with us and follow us. The fact that the, the matter, the, the Trinity, the idea of the Trinity, it, it is a theological idea. It comes from a study of the scriptures. But it's a, a theological idea that what? It reflects the living God himself. Now, in verse 3, we see, it mentions, it says, we give thanks to the God, and from Genesis to Revelation, the, the, the scriptures speak of God being one. That there are not three gods, or four gods, or five gods, or six gods, or a, a, a plethora of gods, like the pagans had. No, there's one God. But, God does reveal himself in the person of the Father, person of the Son, person of the Holy Spirit. Each one of these persons has a, has a distinct work to do with us, has a distinct work to do, a distinct part in the gospel, and a distinct part in our sanctification. And so God wants us to know this right away. He doesn't, he doesn't demand that we fully understand it. But he, what he's saying here is if you're not Trinitarian, if you have no interest in studying the Trinity and understanding how God is revealed as the Trinitarian God, if you have no interest in that, then you're going to, you're going to suffer for it. Because God, as he reveals himself in a Trinitarian way, or as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, it's a very precious doctrines. You can, you can rely on the Father as a divine Father who in his, uh, in his fatherly personality has all the dimensions of knowledge and care for his people. He's like a father to his children. And as sweet as that relationship is in the flesh, as much as we love father and mother, as much as we cry over them when they die and they, they're out of our lives, in the same way God wants us to understand that he is our father. He, he's also the Son, the Divine Son. We find out in the Gospel of John, the book of Genesis, that it was through the Son, through the Word, that all things were created that were. And so this Son is a dynamic Son. He's a Divine Son. He's equal with the Father, in power and glory. And yet He's the Son. And so we learn things about how God is concerned for us. He's so concerned for us that He gave us His only begotten Son. That, that, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, we might have everything uh, in him that we lost in Adam. And then we find out that there's a spirit, that even though Christ is at the right hand of God the Father, the whole the spirit of God is here in this room. He's with us. And so that's a very dear concept. That's a very important concept. We would shrivel up on the vine if it were not for the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit communicates to us every day of our lives the nourishing graces of the Father and the Son. And so it's rich. And we, we, we do, we feel like in the Gospel of John it says that, that we're part of the vine. 
and the vine is one, and the, you cannot you cannot live if you're apart from the vine. That the the vine enthuses energy and and life into us, and the Holy Spirit works in this way. So Paul here says, "We give thanks to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ." I might add that the Holy Spirit worked in them, Christ Jesus, and of your love for all the saints. Uh, <clears throat> so Trinitarianism is, is fundamental. Uh, verses 4 through 8 then speak of the gospel hope in different ways. Uh, again, these are each of these is kind of like a small seed of things that he'll explain later on in his letter. But they're all wonderful. Uh, he says in verse 4, um, uh, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Now, in other letters of Paul, he shows where this is the work of the Holy Spirit, like in, a, in, the, in the book of Ephesians. He shows how this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And he shows how the Holy Spirit brings us to faith, one, in Christ, and the Holy Spirit gives us a love for the saints. Well, you see how this corresponds to what God expects of us in the law. In the law, God gives us two tables. The first table is how we are to worship God and how we are to love God. The second table is how we're to love our fellow men. And so Paul speaks of this. He doesn't line it out and say, well, this is from the first table of the law. This relates to the second table of the law. But he refers to it, these two, these two great needs of our lives, to love the Lord, to, to understand him, and then to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Um, <clears throat> this, it means that we're multidimensional. We've already referred to that a little bit in this uh, message so far. We're multidimensional. In terms of heaven, we live on two levels. And we do. When you, when you are reborn in Christ, you learn that you're more than a simple physical thing. You learn that you have... Uh, a spirit uh, about yourself. You, you learn that the Holy Spirit has a way to work within you so that you're not just flesh and blood, uh, but you're living spirit as God, uh, as God endows you with himself and with his sanctifying spirit. And, uh, and so then you're taught that you're in this life now, but there's a heavenly life ahead, multidimensional. So, you should be concerned about this life, but you should live your life here knowing that, that, that your eternal inheritance above is based somewhat on how your life here goes. Your earnestness, your desire to follow Christ and that sort of thing. So it gives us a multi-dimension. We are not, we're, the early Christians were not afraid of death in the sense that it would undo them as if, as if it would cause them to deny Christ. They, they were afraid of death. They didn't want to die at the hands of uh, the, Ro the Roman emperors. But in the end, they were more afraid of the living God, and they were more in love with the living God. And so they were willing to suffer uh, and endure in this world because they knew that, that the, their inheritance above could not be compared to the deprivations of this earth. And Paul is getting into that already, you see. Because uh, there's hope laid up for you in heaven of what you heard before uh, the word of truth in the gospel. Now you note here that there's two, there's two uses of the word truth. Here in verse 5 at the end, the word of truth of the gospel, and then and at the end of verse 6 where he speaks of the grace of God in truth. 
One of the great one of the great things that paganism just does not understand is the concept of truth. They just do not grasp it. They don't believe it. They don't practice it. Uh, most most pagans are willing to lie, cheat, and steal. They're willing to do anything to keep themselves going in the here and now. Because they don't believe that there's a, one, there's a true truth by which they will be judged. They don't believe that there's a standard, standard that's really true. And so they'll say, people today say, they'll say this and they'll say that. They say, they'll say, well, we're all going to go to, we're all going to, there's all a better place for us when we die. But do they really believe that? I mean, do they have any definition for it? Does it change the way they live their lives now? No. Uh, I've been reading uh, or, or listening to an audio book. It's called Fanny Kelly, The Narrative of My Captivity Among the Sioux, among the Sioux uh, Indians. It's a book that was written. She was, she was uh, stolen. It, there was a massacre. She was a, a young woman, that, a young married woman that was stolen. In this massacre, in the middle of the 1800s, it tells of her life living among the Sioux. Somehow she survived. She was threatened with death a hundred times over. But as she comments about the pagan Indians with whom she lived, the Native Americans with whom she lived, I knew I was studying this book, and I couldn't help but make these comparisons between the the native pagans of America and the pagans of of, uh, uh, Asia Minor where this church had been planted. And um, my mind went back to my being a tourist in Israel and learning about the modern Arab peoples there. I think I've told this story before, but one day we were out in the, we had Arab guides and Arab, an Arab taxi service that took us around as a, as a college students in Israel. And when we passed by this one place and somebody, one of the students asked in the car, uh, what's that over there? Is that a, is that a, some historic place? Oh yes, they said, like they said, I forget what the place was, but let's say that 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 is the uh, that is the the tomb of Abraham, you know, or Isaac or Jacob or one of the other patriarchs. And uh, we, oh, you know, we all oh, and then later in the day, we're like hundred miles away, and so we passed another place, and one of the students said, well, "What is that over there?" And he said, "Oh, that is the tomb of Abraham." <laughs> The very same thing he had said a couple of hours earlier. We got back, and we, we didn't make a big deal of this in the car, but we got back, and we asked our, our teachers, we said, what, what's going on here? How can they say How can they just treat truth as if it's, he said, children, he said, this or students, he said, this is, this is part of the third world. This is part of paganism. He said, Islam does not, uh, it, 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 it holds on to something like the Allah is, is their God, but other than that, <laughs> they're willing to trade almost anything. Uh, for, they want to. They want to make you happy. They they want to be. They want to fit in with you. They want you to fit in with them. They want everything to be agreeable, simpatico, as the Spanish would say. And so they'll they'll give you any answer to anything. It really doesn't matter to them. And my, that was a good. My, the light turned on. That was one of my first experiences outside of Christian America. I re, I learned something. And so I, I've seen the same thing here with this. This um, uh, narrative of my captivity by Fanny Kelly, and I, I see some of the same things here in the Book of Colossians. I see that with, with the apostles and they're dealing with paganism, and and we'll see some of the same things here in Southwest Ohio, as we talk to friends and neighbors. 
oh yeah, there are, there are things that they believe in, but most of the things they believe in have to do with their own comfort levels that have to do with today and tomorrow. And even in their own comfort levels, they're willing to buy, will, lie, cheat, and steal if they think it'll improve them a, a, a couple days further. These are the kinds of people we're dealing with. We're, we're dealing with people that need to be saved. We're dealing with people that need to have the lights turned on in their brain, that need to come to the place where they understand that there is true truth. And so Paul refers to that twice here in different ways because without an understanding of truth, then whatever Christ you're talking about is not the Christ of the Scriptures. Whatever God you're talking about is not the God of the Scriptures. Whatever love you're talking about is not the love of the Scriptures. Because if things are not true, if the concept that you're talking about is not true, then things really don't matter. That's why Paul makes this such a big deal about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ is not truly raised from the dead, if it's not true that we are people to be the most pitied because we're living our lives for things that are not true. And so here he's, he refers to the truth, the truth of the, uh, the grace of God and truth and the truth of the gospel. Uh, as you'll also learn from Epiphras, our dear fellow servant. Now it's not, we're not sure um, who exactly started the church at Colossae. It could have been Paul, but there are many people that believe that it was this faithful servant Epaphras that's mentioned here in verse seven, that uh, that Paul did go through here on the missionary journey. But he was he had other people with him like Timothy and Epaphras, who were also working with this kingdom theology. This, this is really a fundamental. It's really important for us to see, <clears throat> because Christianity, at its essence, is not a celebrity religion. Christianity, the important part of Christianity is not us as celebrity, as a celebrity preacher or a celebrity leader. We, this is kind of a pagan idea that we look for in each other. But Christianity comes from Jesus. Jesus, what did he do? Right away he developed 12 apostles. And he spent most of his time with the apostles because he was trying to train them to be disciple makers themselves. And then they trained other disciple makers so that when Paul goes out, he's training Timothy and Epaphras right away. And whether Epaphras was the first preacher in Colossae or whether it was Paul, it doesn't really make a difference because they were all brothers of our Lord Jesus Christ, fellow workers together with the gospel. This is a lesson for us today. All of us are equals in this sense. That we, we're all being used by the Holy Spirit in various ways. And uh, we need to look for opportunities and we need to have confidence that, that some of us are Paul's, some of us are Timothy's, some of us are Epaphras, some of us are completely unknown. But we can be martyred for Christ as unknowns as well as if we're one of the apostles like Paul or Peter. And God is using all of us together to build his church. It's a wonderful thing. And so as we look at how was paganism conquered, we see that the, the fundamentals of it here in the first phrases of this letter. We ought to take confidence together and uh, make it a part of ourselves. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might have more confidence in who we are and that about which we are um, working. 
through studying Paul's letter to the Colossians. We pray, O Lord, that we might see ourselves in the same light, that, that the hope that came to Colossae, that, might, that we might see the same kind of hope here in southwest Ohio. And we thank thee, O Lord, that we and this church are part of this great missionary effort because we are a new church. We have been founded by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have come from different different sources, different ways. Uh, Susan and I from Scotland, the, the works from the prairies of Kansas and out west, uh, some from the uh, the college of, uh, of uh, uh, the Christian College in Cincinnati, some from Christ College. Oh, Lord, we've come from all these different places, but you've brought us here together. You've raised up a church here just like you did in Colossae. Help us, oh, Lord, to be fruitful. As it mentions, Paul mentions here in the first seven verses, help us to be fruitful too, ourselves. And help us to be part of this great work of Christ throughout the world where more and more people are one to him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.